Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Success Insight podcast. Our guest today is Tom Yorton. Tom is the founder and CEO of Shine Advisors. Tom and his team help quiet leaders communicate confidently. Tom is also the author or co-author of Yes And, How Improvisation Reverses No-But Thinking and Improves Creativity and Collaborations. Lessons from the Second City. Tom Yorton, welcome to the Success Insight Podcast. Great to be with you, Howard. So, Tom, I have to say it is a pleasure because I actually knew more about you and your work before you and I met. And so when I had the chance to meet you through our coaching collaboration here in Chicago, just to get a chance to know more about you and your work, really, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And I too have listened to some of your work and I was eager to be on it because I think you have fantastic conversations and hopefully we'll give your listeners one today. Sounds good. And hey, maybe we'll even give them a few surprises. I would love if you could, for our listeners, paint a little bit of a background, kind of a broad background of some of the work that you have done and what has led you here to you and I chatting today. Yeah, thanks. I think if there's a connective thread in my 30 plus years, I was a, I'm in my third career right now with Shine. I was a marketing and advertising guy for the first chunk of my career. I had an amazing run at the Second City where I was the CEO of the business to business arm of Second City, which was called Second City Works. Now I'm doing this coaching and communication consulting for leaders. And if there's a connective thread through all of that is around finding better ways to communicate in business, better ways to reach an audience, better ways to connect authentically, originally. Those were all really important things when I worked in an advertising context, finding ways for brands to do that. When I worked at Second City, obviously it's a comedy theater, which was all about connecting with an audience. And we brought those principles and ideas to play with Fortune 1000 companies. And then when I had the opportunity after the book and after I moved into Shine, I was in a position to say, well, who do I want to advocate for? Not only where are my skills, but where is my heart when it comes to how I want to serve with this point in my career? And to me, I was always kind of a quiet, more introverted person. I think technically more of a shy person. I I sometimes can have a little bit of a challenge with the judgment of others, especially when it comes to my communication. And that was a thread throughout my whole career. Certainly, it was a real challenge coming up. And I had to figure out what my voice was and figure out a different way to connect as me. And frankly, some of that really started to happen for me at Second City and through the work we did for clients, but also because of the position I was in, in a visible role, some things that I had to do differently and finding a way to get comfortable with my own voice and my own style. And I said, I wanted to bring that to clients now because I know there's a lot of them out there. Some of the best leaders that I work for in my career, especially in the big companies at Sears, worked at 3Com, worked in big Fortune 100 companies. Some of the best leaders I worked for were introverts, were quiet people, were not the large and in charge types that we, we tend to think of. And, I, and sometimes I don't think they got their due. And I know those people are out there. And I think that through my experience, my ricochet career, and some of the things I picked up along the way, I think I have some things to offer them. I can completely appreciate your message. And, and the one thing that really hits home for me, and, and so I never went into a leadership role when I had my pre 
coaching practice. I always worked with very large IT tech companies who are known to be full of introverted people, folks that didn't have a lot of excellent technical skills, but not always known for the communication skills. Those that had those communication skills who were more boisterous, perhaps a little bit louder, perhaps given the opportunities, they were the ones who, you know, you use the term shy, introverted. As an introvert myself, they were the opposite, the extroverted. They were the center of attention and it was left to the techie guys, of which I was one of them. We did the work. We were the quiet leaders who were sitting in the back hoping to be asked for our opinion. Why are we doing it this way? Is there a better way? And if we're not, then we just still stay shy, quiet leaders because nobody's asking us for our opinion. As you were growing within your career, that first career track, marketing, advertising, working for these very well-known logos, what was it like to be in an organization where perhaps being shy, introverted was maybe either not appreciated or I'm different than some other folks. What do I need to do differently? How did that kind of play out in your professional self-development? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think for me, looking back on it, it was probably more self-criticism, my own expectations that were out of line versus the expectations of others. I, I look back at it now, and there are a lot of different kinds of leaders who, who managed to do okay in those spaces. And I thought I had to be a certain way. And, and when you're young, you tend to mimic others. You look at where those success cues are coming from. And so I kind of took that literally and felt like, hey, if I'm going to do this, I got to do it the way this woman's doing it or the way this guy's doing it. And I mimicked a lot and it wasn't very effective for me. In fact, I got a lot of coaching and a lot of the advice I got, I got some good advice, but some of the advice I got really had me doing things that were not a natural act for me. And it kind of dealing with some of the manifesting, like in a presentation skills kind of a context, for example, more of the dealing with some of the symptoms or some of the tactics of it versus what was my underlying concern. And my underlying concern was I don't want to look like a fraud. I don't want to look like an imposter. And so for me, I had to kind of get at the root of that. And then once I got at the root of that, the rest of it flowed versus kind of trying to band-aid symptoms and then never really put to bed some of the other stuff. I learned that I belonged. I learned that I had ideas that were useful. I learned that I could make a contribution. And my contribution didn't have to be complete or perfect. My contribution just had to be my contribution. And it was enough. And once I got that through my head, a lot of stuff started to flow for me. And then also just, you know, kind of at the time working with Second City, uh, there's just a whole bunch of ideas about the world of improvisation, some axioms and some tenets of improv that are just counterintuitive in the business world that really helped me a lot. And just how people prepare and how actors who have to be in front of an audience seven nights a week, how they prepare. And there were just a lot of very useful practical tools that helped me get better at the craft. And maybe that's the dirty secret too, is nobody practices. We assume that by the time we get to a certain point in our career, that we're going to be competent at this stuff just because we've been there for a while. But almost always, we don't practice to the degree that we would. And there's no meaningful skill that any of us has in life that didn't come through a lot of trial and error in practice. So I hear three things now. Showing up and being authentic and that being in the first part of your career. Somewhere, was it just an aha moment for you? A book, a mentor, a coach, a guide that you realize, you know, we need to adapt 
for our situations, but we also need to not try to be something that we're truly not comfortable with. So we show up, be authentic, be mindful of the people, our audience. What was that shift for you in that first career? Yeah, this is, and I'll say the first career was kind of that marketing and advertising career. And that would probably, if if we're talking about trial and error, there's probably more error than trial <laughs> in that part of the career for me. I think I was trying to be more traditional business guy and whatever my image of what that looked like, that was what I was affecting. And then I got to Second City and I just learned because we, we were bringing these alternative methods in to help business leaders communicate and connect. We were bringing comedy and finding a way to get to the truth for humor and finding a way to use improv to reduce the distance between presenter and audience to break the fourth wall, all these different ideas, right? So I think the epiphany really happened for me there where I saw that there was a fundamentally different way to be a business communicator. And the distinction there was you can be professional without being corporate. And that's an immense distinction. And we were always professional and we were never corporate, but somehow we found a way to present ideas for our clients when we were hired that landed with an audience, that resonated with the audience, that it, we were talking about the stuff that they would be talking about at the bar. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that when you're effective, you don't have to play business. You just have to reach people as people first because that's who they are before they're business people. You know, I love, too, when you were kind of sharing the, the initial beginnings. And I also love how, as you're answering my questions, you're weaving in kind of like the early history, then the secondary history, which is Second City. And I do want to acknowledge one thing, and it really also hits home, is this idea of preparing. So many of us think, okay, well, I've, I've done, got my education. I, I've made it through the school of hard knocks. I'm good. I'm good. I, I can coast for the rest of my life. And that is so not the case. We constantly have to hone our skills and our capabilities or expertise and get feedback. And well, how was I doing? What would you like to have done or seen more of or less of? And and kind of make those tweaks along the way. And preparing is about making what you do very well to do well even better. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good point. And I think that's some of the things that I think in, in the current work that I'm doing that I'm able to help clients with one, the realization that they need to prepare to some better ways to prepare that they didn't learn in B school, because that's one set of answers, but there's a whole bunch of other different ways of preparing that you won't find in traditional, you know, either corporate upbringing or any kind of a business school background. And so that's that. I think that's, that's really what it is, is that there's better ways to prepare. It's almost like exercise science, right? How people got in shape 50 years ago is different than how they're getting in shape today. And I kind of almost think that the work that I do is akin to what a personal trainer does in a way that some of its motivation, some of its technique, some of its presenting new ideas and new approaches so people can practice and get better. And that's, that's really what it is. And no matter where you are, on that continuum, whether you, most of the people I'm working with are really very successful. It's not like they're deficient, but they may not be comfortable or they may be doing it in a way that doesn't feel true to them or authentic to them so that they can do it with a little bit more joy and a little bit more effectiveness. So yeah, practice is huge. And again, why are improvisers so great? Well, they do it all the time. And this is counterintuitive idea of, yeah, but you're making it up on the spot. But in order to be able to do that, 
you have to practice that skill. It's like a jazz musician. If you don't gig all the time, you're just not going to be able to do it when the time comes. You, your repertoire, your book of ideas, your reference level is low. You know, I remember a, you can call it a meme or I call them social quotes. It was a picture of Michael Jordan and it was, you see me in a 60 minute period. You see how great I am and I do this, I do that. What you didn't see is all that sweat and hard work every day. And those other hours where I'm continuing to practice, 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 so I can go out there and perform. I think it was Michael Jordan. And if it's not, I still think it's a great analogy because I could see him responding that way. It is amazing that I think there are still struggles in society today that we still look to somebody that's loud and boisterous. They're the leaders. And as an introvert, in many ways, even like this podcast is, you wouldn't typically see an introvert on the podcast. I mean, there's a fear of not being good enough. Will people take me seriously? Do I know enough about the subject matter so I can ask good questions? And can I hold a conversation? And you constantly have to remind yourself, and you get it from the comments and the feedback, this is how you're doing. So In our society today, getting that constant feedback is such a wonderful gift. Hopefully, the feedback is given in a a gift sort of way, but it's also received in in a gift sort of way. Like, thank you very much. I can make those adjustments. And with your work at Shine Advisors, how are your clients coming to you? Do they know of you because of the career at Second City, the prior career? Have they resonated to something you've said on the topic of introversion, shyness, need help with communication? Where are those clients coming from for you? Yeah, it's been a combination of all of that. When I started the business, candidly, I just worked within my personal network and just told people what I was up to. And I was referred to a couple of people. And it's been a really nice word of mouth business. But again, I want to give her credit where credit's due. There's some fantastic scholarship on this stuff. It's kind of a hot topic now as we look to get more diverse voices represented in business in general. Well, one of those areas that we can be more inclusive is communication style. And people like Susan Cain, obviously with her book, Quiet, was kind of a seminal book and just really understanding what this stuff's all about and that what the numbers were, what the research was, what the evidence was underneath all this stuff. And so that was super inspirational for me. So clients have come to me through kind of a word of mouth thing. I've had a couple of clients who've seen some things that I've posted and wanted to talk about that. I've been on a couple of podcasts and had people say, tell me more about your work. And then I built within that. I I set out thinking that I was going to be working specifically kind of at a mid-market C-suite level. That was a target that I set, kind of that $100 to $500 million company, maybe in an industry that doesn't have a lot of outside influence. Manufacturing is a very often that case, or some finance and engineering areas. That Those are the kinds of areas where I thought I would be. A funny thing happened along the way. I I do have those clients, but I'm also working a lot with mid-career high-potential types, people who are 7 to 10 years in their career, who've gotten where they've gotten based on some natural talent and technical skills and strengths. But as they become, when it becomes more about how you lead others, as opposed to what you can do as an individual contributor, then your communication takes on greater importance. So they have to learn some new tricks. And when your clients are coming to you, do you have a, a methodology? Are there 
tools that you're using that are part of, okay, here's what we're going to do? Or are, are you more of a meet the client where they're at and then build a process or a learning or a development around their specific need? I think it's a former with an asterisk. So I have kind of a typical arc now that I've evolved to with a, with an engagement. There's an assessment tool that I've created. There's a tool that I've created called a personal communications plan, which really helps people identify their goals, their strengths and preferences, their shortcomings, their primary audiences. It's almost like a marketing plan for a person, but not in an inauthentic, gross personal brand sort of way. It's more really understanding how they want to be in the world, how they want to show up in the world and how they want to communicate, understanding who they need to reach, how they're currently being perceived, and what are the things that they can do to play to their preferences and strengths to connect with people the way they want to, as opposed to maybe the way the organization thinks they should. So I do have some tools. I share those tools, but you're right. Every engagement's different and different people want to do it different ways. And I'm not dogmatic about any of that. I think there's there's a lot of ways to skin the cat, but I think it's also helpful with some people to lead with some ideas and say, we could do it this way. Here's why I do it this way, but tell me how that all lands with you and let's figure out a path forward. Fantastic. I'm curious in your work, how does helping a client share and communicate their story, how does that play a role in your client's self-development? Because there's a lot about stories these days. Everywhere, it's, we have to learn to tell a story. We're not, it's not about how good we are, the degree I have, the assessment tools I use. It's about the story so that our listeners, our future clients, will resonate with that story and want to learn more about us and our work. So I'm curious where stories come in to the work that you're doing. I think it's a significant piece of it. And I don't frame the business so much as a storytelling business, but it's an element of it for sure. And I always try to think about it in a couple of ways. I always think of the so that piece. You want to become a storyteller so that what? What what happens as a result of that? So why you've read about it, it's all a rage, but have you thought about why you want to do that? Well, usually it comes down to things like, I want to reduce the distance between me and the people that I'm leading, or I want people to know who I really am. Or here's an interesting one that I've been really thinking about and working on a lot is I really want to help people be more original communicators. There's a sameness in business communication that I think actually hurts your ability to get a message across and stand out. And you can't be original without understanding your origin, right? Where do I come from? (laughs) What is important about my background and my experience that I need to bake into my representation of who I am? So if you want to be original, you have to understand your origin. And so for me, Howard, I would call myself a pretty good storyteller. I would call myself an exceptional story finder. And I think the finding is sometimes more important than telling. I think you're a story finder. What we're doing here is you're you're finding out my story. And it's a tremendous gift when you're able to do that. And it's not self-serving. And it's just, it's everyone's got one. And, And there's an importance to that that I think matters. And that I also think confidence comes from being firmly rooted in that and understanding your foundation and understanding how that makes you who you are so you can play to all that and bring your whole self into your work. I appreciate that. And I have to share, Tom, in the spirit of full disclosure, once this podcast is over, I will hand this off to my audio editor. And then I go and I listen to the podcast because I want to make sure the flow is there. And one thing 
I hear when I'm listening to the podcast is sometimes my setup for the question or the point gets a little long verbose. And I keep saying to myself, I just need to ask the question without putting the front matter in. And because I, I, I love, I do love the story, but sometimes I think I go on a little too long. It could also mean that you're headed for a career in sports talk radio. If you ever listen to those guys ask a question, it's like, they have to get to the commercial break before the question comes out. Well, that's the whole idea is that right before, okay, well, now we'll ask this question right after our ad from. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't, for what it's worth, I don't feel that way. It's just a good conversation and I appreciate what you're saying. Ah, thank you so much. So I'm curious in your career, what are some of the aha moments that really kind of stick out and have stayed with you? Wow, that's a great question. I think in terms of like big experiences, do you mean like that, seminal experiences, or do you think like uh, news you can use, tips that I've learned, tricks and hacks, that kind of thing? What do you think? Well, I love the aha moment because it's it's that light bulb that goes off. It's the pop, pop, pop above your head. If this was a cartoon, it's like, yes, now I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing or that was absolutely brilliant. I have been trying to communicate that for so long and wanted to say this for so long. Yeah. And there it is. Yeah, I would say one aha moment for me. Again, I would, I'd take it back into the time that I spent at Second City where I learned that dialogues beat monologues seven days a week. And when you think about the form of improvisation, it's a form that invites the audience to co-create the content with what goes on stage. You're asking for suggestions. So the more you can involve an audience, engage an audience in any kind of communication, whether it's a keynote speech. I did a lot of keynotes when the book came out, but when we did a keynote, it was never me talking for 40 minutes at a time doing a monologue. It was always evolved a structure of a third, a third, a third, a third presentation, a third demonstration, and a third audience participation. And it was just, it was better for me and it was better for the audience. So one of the things I realized is if you want to engage an audience, engage the audience, (laughs) give them a role, give them something to do. And so dialogues beat monologues. That's a huge aha that I thought there was a greater burden on me to carry the freight as a communicator. And I don't even mean just in a presentation context, because importantly in my work, I look at the totality of it and we're all a mix of our presentational skills, our interpersonal communication skills, our written communication skills. And when you look at the totality of it, everyone everyone does it a little differently. Everyone has a different preference and strength and helping people identify where they play strongest and shore that stuff up and, and make that the hero is the goal. But in any case, the more you can create opportunity for dialogue, I just think it helps you connect and land better. That's an aha. I appreciate that. And, you know, this is a good segue because in our notes to prepare for the today's podcast and for our listeners, and again, in the spirit of full disclosure, I, I send out a questionnaire to my guests to help them as well as me prepare for the podcast episode. And Tom, you, you shared a YouTube video from a comedian, Dave Chappelle, who is an icon and just talk about truth to power. You know, there's some people are doing the monologue, the Johnny Carson's, the Jay Leno's, et cetera. And some people are doing the dialogue and his dialogue. It was an award ceremony for the Mark Twain Awards in 2019. And that was really kind of blew me away. Just kind of listened to him like there's a lot going on in the speech and you could dissect it point by point. And 
you know, share a little bit about what your insights were. And by the way, folks, we will provide a link back to Dave Chappelle's acceptance speech in our show notes. So you'll have that. But Tom, talk a little bit about this particular speech and some of the points that really kind of were an aha moment for you. Yeah, my son sent it to me just because we're fans. I think the guy's a national treasure. I think he's a genius on a lot of levels. And if you're just a fan of the craft of communication, definitely take a look at that link after you hear the podcast because it'll be eight of the best minutes of your day. The thing that I, I gravitated to, just I, I thought the whole thing was what an acceptance speech should be. It was thoughtful. It was thought-provoking. It was heartfelt it was challenging. It was all those things. But there was one line in it that he was kind of talking to his mom, thanking his mom in the speech, because he was thinking about his childhood and how he was a sensitive kid. He cried easily. He was not a fighter. And he lived, you know, in a situation where it could be, you know, a tough neighborhood kind of a thing. And so she had a line that she would say to him a lot. And he talks about it in the speech that I think is so perfect for the work that I do, which is, I'm paraphrasing, sometimes you got to be a lion so you can be the lamb you really are. And I love that line because we all, if you're a quiet person, if you're more reserved, you don't feel like you want to pretend to be, you know, big yourself up all the time and be something you're not. But the truth is there are occasions, situations where it rises to that level, where you really need to find that, that other gear. And you can prove to yourself that there's value in going against type that it's kind of a counterintuitive thing for me because I, I help my clients understand their preferences so they can play to them. But I also tell them there are times when you have to go beyond them. And there are times when you have to be a lion where the stakes are high, where the cause is important enough that you need to rise to that level and show people that you've got that other gear. And it also surprises people. And it can be a very potent thing and a very powerful thing. So and maybe now that I have this business, I look to a lot of things through that lens. And I'm sure he didn't create his acceptance speech with that in mind. But I just, I thought about how he engaged the audience. I thought about how he showed gratitude. I thought about how there was heart and humor. But I, that line in particular, I think is really powerful. And I use that speech a lot with clients. We pull things out of it that are germane to the work that we're doing. Most definitely. And I, and I really, I enjoyed that line as well. And it just... You know, every sentence when he was speaking, there was a message everywhere, but that was truly one of the, the highlights of that speech. Tom, at the end of a show, we do two items. One of them is the insight to go, and the other one is to ask our guests to provide a what's next for our listeners to, if they want to learn more about our guests, where can they go? So, what I'd love to find out right now from you is, you know, and again, it's what you just shared about the Dave Chappelle's acceptance speech could have been an insight to go, but any other insights that you would give somebody who perhaps is not engaged as a, they might like to be or need to be, or, or, or they want, they want to be more engaging. They want to take some next, next steps to create a new reality for themselves, a new way to show up that is authentic. And, you know, what are some, something that you could could offer our guests on that line? Well, the timing is good because I'm actually working on a, on a LinkedIn post that should go live in the next couple of days. And I have two and I'll, I'll make it quick. One is it's more important to serve people than to wow them. The meaning behind that is, you know, when I was coming up, I thought as a communicator, especially as a presenter, as a speaker, I needed to wow people. 
And it was ultimately more me evaluating myself as a messenger and understanding that I was there with a job to do, that the message was important and the audience was important, but I was so focused on myself and my ability to wow that frankly, I'd freak myself out. I would, I would create these high stakes. I would psych myself up and I would either tank the opportunity or avoid it because I said, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not one of these gifted speakers. I would set this unfair standard and not hit it. And I became, you know, it was funny the day that I became aware that it was more about the message than about me. It was the day that I became better at both. I became a better messenger. So that's one, the idea of it's more important to serve and that when you're a communicator, you're serving a message, you're serving an audience than to wow. The wowing will come with practice and with time, but this, you're there in service of a message. That's one. The other one that I, I like a lot is people will judge you by what you say, but they will also judge you by what you don't say. And I have a lot of quiet clients who sometimes hold their tongues and pull their punches and Sometimes they think that's deferential. Sometimes I think they think that's an act of generosity. And maybe that is. Maybe you're seeding the floor for others and you're giving others the opportunity to weigh in. I think it can be a crutch. People will render a judgment on you. And and a lot of shy people who, by definition, are a little bit afraid of judgment, don't speak for that reason or, or hold back. But if they only knew how much people are judging their silence and how they're viewing their silence, there's something there too. So I just had a client that went through that with some 360 feedback. It was one of those forehead smacking moments, right? That, wow, uh, I I just learned that I thought I was being quieter in these situations was useful, but it was perceived differently. It was perceived as people wander. They fill the void with their own information and at least you can control the message. So you may always be the kind of person who's deferential in communication. I'm not saying that's a problem. I'm just saying that silence is not always golden. I have to share that particular insight hits home on many levels. And I have seen that in, in my career. I also suspect that the reverse is true. Constantly being the center of attention, your audience is is learning and coming up with their own judgment on what that is as well. So it goes both ways. Yeah. And I think that's a really important segue because that's actually where my work has gone. I started off working specifically with those kinds of quiet leaders, but I'd say that represents about two thirds of my business. Now there's a third of my business where I'm working with people who would not self-identify that way. They're leaders who just want to be better leaders to all types. And they want to understand people who might have different personality styles and communication styles who might be a little bit more introverted. So I'm working with teams that are really kind of mixed composition groups as well. And your point is exactly right that it's not that one way is good and one way is bad. It's about understanding what you're there to do, understanding who your audience is and what they need in the moment and how you can be of service to that, whether you're naturally gregarious or naturally reserved. Fantastic. Tom, if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, where are the best places for them to go? They can go to my website, which is www.shineadvisors.com. And shine is spelled S-H-Y-N-E. It's a play on words with shy people can shine. That's the idea. So www.shineadvisors.com. And then also they can check me out on LinkedIn. I'm not I'm not on Facebook and uh, I'm not terribly active on Twitter, but I am on, on LinkedIn. So those are the two places they can go. Fantastic. And we will most certainly provide the links back to Shine Advisors and your LinkedIn profile 
on our show notes along with the Dave Chappelle YouTube link as well as to a link to your book. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. I, I feel we are like kin in, in a lot of different ways, <laughs> especially from the personality perspective. And definitely we're aligned in, in a lot of different ways on, on that front. So thank you so much. It was great to learn more about you and your work. And I'm sure our audience will also enjoy that experience as well. Thanks very much, Howard. All right, folks, we have just been chatting with Tom Yorton. He is the founder and CEO of Shine Advisors. Tom and his team help quiet leaders and perhaps not so quiet leaders communicate confidently. And it was just a, a pleasure to hear about Tom's journey and this work as an executive uh, as uh, of corporate America, an executive working with the Second City and talking about how those lessons, those learnings have impacted and are playing a part in who he is today as a coach, a consultant, and a, and a thought leader. If uh, you have any comments regarding uh, the podcast, you know, please do share your notes or likes on our podcast page, successinsightpodcast.com. You can also visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. I think that's it. And on YouTube. We are everywhere. And uh, we can also be found on the podcast platforms like Buzzsprout, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, just about all of the platforms. But you know, we want to hear your feedback. And if certainly if you appreciated Tom and, and his work, you know, do do let him know what you thought and by all means, reach out to him and uh, start up a conversation. So folks, that's it for today. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Success Insight Podcast. Take care now. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.